0: Here he is, your host, Jim Irvin.
1: Well, thank you so much, Parker, and welcome to Time Signatures. I'm your host, Jim Irvin, and I just wanted to take a quick moment as we get ready to kick off our final episode of this, our inaugural year, and just wanted to say thank you for your listenership, for your support, for your kind comments, and I wanted to let you know that we have so much more coming for you in 2024 I'm excited to share some big news with you the first of the year and more great interviews. You can count on it. Please, please, please lock us in. Keep coming back for more. And we are going to do our dead-level best to keep the Blues alive and, most importantly, to preserve the history of the Blues one story at a time. Well... Hello there. Hi. And welcome to another uh, podcast episode of Time Signatures. Oh,
2: wait a minute. Were you telling me hello? Well, or were I'm you just... telling your listeners?
1: Everybody. Okay. okay. <laughs> you, you included. Okay. <laughs> well, you were looking at me. <laughs> we are located this afternoon uh, coming to you from the shadow of winkin, blinkin, and Nod in Rio Town near downtown Lansing. And, you, uh,
2: you might have to explain who that is
1: well we're gonna we're gonna get into oh, that all right we'll get oh, okay. into that okay. and the, there's kind of a neat backstory that we can if we have enough time we'll talk about how the three towers got their name at the Erickson power plant but we are in downtown Lansing and uh, we are actually located at the record lounge in Rio town on Washington Avenue and um, our very special guest today is none other than Dennis Preston uh, Dennis has been involved with I would say art a good portion of your life is that pretty fair
2: I would say a large portion, not a good, but <laughs> no. very
1: big. Absolutely, and um, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about it. People are gonna go, well, how does that tie into the blues? But you've actually done a few posters uh, for some some big names in blues, haven't you?
2: Yep, some big names.
1: I guess I I have to start by kind of breaking the ice a little bit. Have you always been a doodler?
2: Wow, well, I think yeah, yeah. I'd have to say I I have been. But probably not until later years after grade school. I, I drew, but I doodled more, mm-hmm. you know, probably starting more in uh, junior high and, you know, high school, doodling on folders, and then people would buy them.
1: They, you, you were actually selling the folders to you? They
2: bought them from me, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you were entrepreneurial at the at the tender age of, what, 8 or 10 or a little older? No,
2: no, junior high.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
2: Yeah, you know but mainly with other students I wasn't freelancing at that time
1: yeah, yeah. but just kind of getting your feet wet <laughs> yeah okay <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know if I I got wet or not but yeah yeah
1: because like you don't uh,
2: you know I didn't really have a vision for what I was gonna be getting into I just knew that I, I, I like to draw growing up I knew okay I wasn't gonna be a fireman I wasn't gonna be this you know I just knew at an early age hey I can do this. This is probably what I'm gonna do for a living.
1: So you you knew right out of the gate what your what your passion was. You had Oh yeah. Had that yeah. pretty much identified. In first grade, that's when I knew right then. Did you ever get in trouble in school for doodling? notebooks Uh, and things or
2: yeah well no I didn't I didn't get in trouble I think sometimes the teachers would say something you know if I'm drawing on my test you know if I get (laughs) done with my test and then I'm drawing on it because it's just like okay I'm waiting to hand it in you know
1: well and and that's one of the things that I've noticed about you for for those of you we're going to talk about the posters more but We had that scanning party at the house. The
2: scanning party. Yeah. We
1: scanned over 100 of these posters that you had done, and we'll talk about those in a few minutes. Okay. But while you were there, you grabbed a little piece of paper and you scratched out a doodle before you left, which I stuck in the back of the poster that you left for me. Oh, okay. In the frame. So whoever sees it years down the road is going to go, what the hell is that? Yeah. And it's one of your doodles.
2: Yeah, it's a doodle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, while we're talking about doodles, okay, because doodles are fun, you you need to talk about this new book that you have out.
2: Okay, we're talking about the book here. Yes, sir. Um, when I was in a band in the late '60s, early '70s, there was a a dog and suds on Michigan Avenue. It mm-hmm. was down by Resurrection, and there would be times like us as a band would go in there and you know have hot dogs and fries and stuff but I would always doodle on the napkins and leave them for the waitresses right there was one time I went back in there and behind the front counter you know where you pay they had all these doodles up on the wall I was amazed i was going man I didn't know they were saving them you
1: know these were all yours yeah they were my (laughs) doodles that were up there and I'm going man
2: you know it's like a little gallery of these and it showed me, it kind of opened my eyes. I go, wow, people really like these things. To me, it was just me leaving something for somebody or spending a little bit of time on it. But years later, um, I started doing it, you know, when I was doing errands or meeting with a client and I would just doodle while I was waiting for them to show up. Mm-hmm. Or I was taking a break from the errands and I would just sit there and, you know, spend about a half hour drinking iced tea and then and I would make a doodle, you know, and leave that for the barista. But when I was leaving that for the barista, I started noticing that customers were taking them from them. They were on the front counter. I'd no leave them. Kidding. Up. Yeah. The customers would look at them and then take them. And then I'm going, wait a minute, you know, I left that for the barista. So I start writing on there, you know, this belongs to the B crew. I called it B crew, I think. I don't know. I'll have to look up, take quick <laughs> a look here. Yes, I did. I put the B crew, crew. The B crew. The B crew because it stood for Big B.
1: That's really cool. Now, what's what's the title of the book? Napkin Doodles. Napkin do- And how appropriate. When you open the cover of this, and I've already started flipping through looking at some of the doodles that you have in here. And I got to tell you, you've got a really cool sense of art. You look at the faces, they're new to the same. They're, there's they're, some almost almost similar. but Similar yeah. but different. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there's, there's there might be a little bit of features that might look like one of Right, right. Yeah. But Napkin Doodles by Dennis Preston. Where can we get a copy of this?
2: This is only available online at okay. lulu.com.
1: That's L-U-L-U dot com.
2: Yep. And then slash spotlight and then slash again. And then it would say uh, Dennis Preston books. Okay. That's what I think it says. Yeah. And,
1: and this book is what, 20 bucks? Something yep. like that? Yep. And and if you can catch up to him, he'll sign it for you. Yeah. Uh, if you can catch up to me. And, and I do have a copy sitting right here. So guess what, buddy? And we're looking <laughs> at it.
2: We're looking at it right now. We're Yep. <laughs>
1: But it's, it's it's cool to me because I have to go back and tell the story of where I got the overwhelming desire to sit down and talk to you. All right. We met earlier this spring. Well, we didn't meet for the first time. We've met several times previously. You've done posters for the Jazz Fest and the Blues Fest, and yep. you've done stuff. You're wearing a, for shirt, wearing a shirt right now for the Capital Area Blues Society that you did, their little guy, their little music guy. Yeah. So you've been around. You've been doing stuff, and it's like... I always knew that you were like local, special, local important, you know, because people knew you and and you'd done so much for different things in the Lansing area. And then lo and behold, I find these posters. I went to the the Lansing Music Instrument Swap over here in the South End. Right. And you were sitting there and you had some posters and of course you were doodling. Uh, I was doodling. <laughs> but I saw a poster there for, for Rare Earth and you have since learned that i have ties to some friends that toured extensively with rare earth and they yeah. have formed a new band called brother earth that's brother b-r-o-t-h-a brother earth if you haven't heard of them look them up you will thank me okay and they, they've got that rhythm and blues that you know the old school yeah you know stuff that you would think in motown and of course rare earth was the first non-African-American band that was signed by the Motown label. And everyone that came in afterwards under them came in under the rare earth label. There you go. Okay. So here's this guy sitting at the table and he's, you know, doodling. And of course, you know, I, I, I know him, I've, I've met him a few times and seen him at different things. And, and I look and I see a poster for rare earth sitting on the table for sale. And I'm thinking, you know, this is kind of cool. He's just, you know, he's, he's doodling these posters and he's selling them and stuff. Start talking to him. And if I don't know, he's been doing these posters since what? The mid-70s, would you uh, say? No. No.
2: I, you start? I started doing concert posters in the late 60s, you know, mainly 69 up till, uh, let's see, about probably 74. Yeah. You know, it was like... All that time, straight out of high school, I was doing concert posters. I started with a local band mm-hmm. called The Dogs. They're still around, but they're out in L.A. now. That's okay. where they're based out of. But The Dogs would always have me do their posters. I was doing posters for my band, but The Dogs got around more. So The Dogs, from there, The Dogs did a show out to the union at MSU, and they had two Detroit bands on the, on the same uh, concert there. And the promoter that put that on, that was the first time I met him. He was from the Detroit area. From there, he started having me do posters for the Melody Ballroom down in that area. Mm -hmm. And then from the Melody Ballroom, I started doing them for Sherwood Forest over in Yep. And then from there, well, not necessarily from there, but around the same time, I was doing them for the stables. And that's where the bigger names... There were some big names at Sherwood Forest. There
1: sure were, yeah.
2: But the more well-known people were coming through at the stables. And that's where the blues thing ties in, because there was Muddy Waters. Uh, Oh, yeah. Who else was there?
1: Muddy was the one that jumped out at me. As soon as I saw that poster, I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool.
2: (laughs) But there was a buddy guy one that i did okay uh, but that was a photo but i still laid it out and put sure. a border in it, it was all hand lettered but a buddy guy and who else was with him
1: did junior you? wells okay all right is that what it, was? it could be
2: i think it was the two of them on that poster okay um and then there was the cotton blues band james cotton mm-hmm i did one of those i'm sure there's and probably one or two other blues ones, but there was also jazz. I was doing jazz ones. Charles Mingus and uh Eddie Harris, Les McCann. But I was doing for some posters for other places around Michigan and some of those were blues, you know, um John Mayall. he was at two yep. two locations.
1: Um see as you're talking about these I'm going back in my mind remember yep, I remember oh, scanning oh, that. You one. Remember, remember the vi- Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and the cool part about it is when we talk about you doing posters, and I wish there was a way for for people to see these, and eventually maybe there will be, but these aren't just photo posters. Like you said, the ones you laid out, these are actual posters that you drew. Right. uh, Where you actually drew a poster with the the likeness of the the band members. And you found out that a couple years later that one of those posters was stolen, the design. Well, it wasn't the cupboard.
2: Wow, I don't know how many years ago it was. Oh, several
1: several years ago? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we never Well, met. after.
2: Yeah, They somebody, I don't know who did it. You know, maybe it was somebody that the that, uh, CD was, you know, the label that put that out. I don't know where they got the image unless they found it on the Internet or whatever. But anyways, they took that image from the poster and they used it for the cover on there. And they made, you know, a slight change with the coloring and all that. Mm-hmm. When I first saw it, I go, wait, wait a minute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's funny because when you told me about it, I went and did a search. It was the rare earth collection, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, but it was a, an import. Oh. It was outside the United States, so they were, you know, in, 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 yeah, you know? yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 Those guys. But they but they literally <laughs> took a chunk of that poster, a perfectly square chunk and made it the cover of the cd
2: yes they did
1: and you know while i think it's cool because i have a copy of that cd and you've signed it for me that had to suck as an artist is it is that ever happened Uh, to you before yeah but not a lot it doesn't happen
2: a lot but i've i've seen my stuff pop up on other things that i knew that i didn't draw that for them okay you know but it doesn't happen a lot but i think just because of that being like an international label like you said you know it's they don't go by our laws. You know? Right. When they see right. an image and boom, you know.
1: Well, and I think back yeah. then, you know, the much like everything else in the world back then, protections weren't in place that are now for what well, Do you think those property. are
2: going to really work,
1: well, the protections? It, well, if they're from international, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, you know, they make rules and sense to us, you know. Right. but You know, people people have a different idea in different countries you know yeah. like, you know but it's like the it's a, you know i'm not i don't want to have to deal with somebody trying to hunt down who did it and right. what and you know and try that to would take
1: it. away from your joy wouldn't
2: it yeah it would because then it gets into story problems and i'm not really into you know running into court going oh, you know you use that for the cover without having any uh, okay from me you know but once in a while i might get um a musician or a band asking me for permission to use an image and if it's something i already drew then they'll pay like a, a certain amount royalty for it. or whatever well now no not necessarily a royalty i'll just you know like a one-time charge just for them to use the image for their okay. cd cover or well that's the, cool yeah and they're good about it and the thing too they're not paying like a full price of what right, that would have right. cost them and they're still getting a cool cover but uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm open to that, and that's happened. I was talking to uh, Bill Castanier yesterday about it, where Des Dickerson. Do you know who Des Dickerson is?
1: Not familiar to
2: me. Okay, he was in uh, one of Prince's bands. Okay, all right. So he got a hold of me, and because he saw one of my images on the internet, and then very he, cool. And he was uh, he wanted to use it for a band. I'm trying to think of what the name of the band is, like Five Doors Down or something like that. Okay. And I said, okay, but let me just change it a little bit so it doesn't look like the original that I did, you know. So I I did change the the way the coloring was, but it was still the same art, you know. But that was like a, a national release, so but I I got paid for it, but yeah. at least he got a hold of me and you know, so that worked out.
1: So you you haven't you haven't just done blues, you haven't just done jazz, right? You've done some big-name classic rock and roll posters, too, haven't you? We, yep. Well, I would say not big-name posters, but big names were on the posters. Yep. Brother big Bob.
2: And, uh, what's that? Brother Bob. Well, well, his name was kind of small on the poster. Well, I, <laughs> I can see him right on the wall right behind you, too. Is it really? Yeah, he's right <laughs> behind you. And uh, We better
1: watch what we're saying. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, he's down there, too. Jeez.
1: <laughs> this place really has some Bob around it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you, I love the ambiance in this place. It is so cool. If you ever get a chance and I they're not sponsoring us or anything, right. I was actually supposed to interview Heather today, but she's not feeling well. So oh. we're gonna we're gonna do another time. Um, but I'm dying to talk to her about this place. She's one of the only women record store owners in the country. Oh, wow, okay. And when you walk in here, this is like warehouse records on steroids. When I was a kid, remember when I was a younger guy, the, the warehouse records and yeah. and some of the other's record stores? I mean, this is, they've got old stuff. They've got, you know, now vinyls oh, yeah. being re-released as new. Yeah. You know, so you, you can come in here for the collectible stuff. They got a poster for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. is <laughs> sitting right behind over here. Um, it's, it's just a really cool place to come in and gotcha. browse and... I mean, they've got old posters hanging up. I think they sell some of your stuff here, too, don't they? They sell
2: some of my stuff, too, up yeah. by the front desk there. Some, some uh, concert poster prints, and uh, there's a few album covers that I drew during uh, a record store day during the shutdown. Um, when you're talking about this place, it, it gives me a little bit of feeling of sounds and diversions that in Free Spirit, I used to do there murals and their ads and their posters and a little bit of wazoo okay you ever been to wazoo? I have not oh wazoo you know she could tell you about wazoo okay but wazoo was like FBC okay but the walls were amazing the walls his name is John he worked there but the walls were collages oh wow and you'd have album covers that are small you'd have stickers for bands you'd have all these things and they were covered more than the walls that she has. they neat. were collages yeah yeah they were amazing you know
1: <laughs> but that's really cool well dennis talk about your favorite bands that you created for or posters for is there any of them that really stick out in your mind i know you said that normally you're you're reached out to by a, a label rep or somebody, a, a, a promoter or somebody to do posters. But yeah. any of them stick out in your mind as your favorites? That you just like, wow, I'm actually doing this. I, I don't know if I'm, you know,
2: it's it's the kind of thing where I I'm doing the poster, but I don't know if I really went
1: wow, you know. But Well, you're talking in the '60s, late '60s and early '70s, right? You're, and you're doing posters for people like Ted Nugent and Amboy Dukes and Bob Seger. You didn't get even a little bit of fanboy and go, wow, I'm doing these posters for these guys?
2: I don't think I did,
1: you know, because I, I, the
2: way that I've always been with people that are, you know, that are well-known for sure, some, I'm just thinking, well, they're like me. They just have a different job. The celebrity part, I did, I'm not affected by that. And I know some people are, you know, and then some, even some of them that I've met, it's not where me going up there hello hi I did this for you you know right. it's more like the promoter going this is Dennis he did the poster you know for this event you know and I had somebody do that when I, I did one of the he played out the MSU with Peter Frampton and Steve Miller came to town and Somebody, this is Dennis he did the uh, you know the big ad the flyer and a poster or whatever you know for the concert and he went yeah yeah okay you know and kept, you know and I can understand him going yeah because he's got to do a sound check know you know, sure. you know yeah. and like who am I to somebody <laughs> like that you know hey you know you know but and it's like um they're doing these posters. I know that some of the people liked what I did I know that Chuck Berry liked the one I did uh... alice cooper like the one i did i would hear back either through the promoter or somebody else you know that that person really liked what you did with that poster you know know, so it's good to hear that you know that they like what i did i know for some of these bands i could have done a whole lot better time wise if i had more time because when a, a lot of the posters it had to be done right then so i would spend you know stay up all night and work on it and. You know, in some cases, if it was a local venue, I would take it to the print shop the next day. If it was for out of town, uh, back then I wasn't driving, so I'd get on my bike and ride to the nearest mailbox and put it in there so they'll get it right away, especially with the Melody Ballroom, because I was doing those for every week. So every week, wow. I had to do some. I'd get a phone call like between 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'd, <laughs> work on it on the kitchen table, you know, and my mom and dad would have to come out there and push everything aside, you know, if I'm... Because that's where I worked. I was drawing on the kitchen table, and they'd always have to push the stuff aside to be able to eat. But, yeah, he needed it, he needed it right away, so I, if I would have had a computer back then, well, and he'd oh, have man. to have one, too. I, yeah, I could yeah. have just, you know, just set well, it right it's, out. It's know? just
1: like this equipment that we're using today to record the show. I but mean... You have a very pretty mixer. I look at this... <laughs> I look at this and I think to myself, because I worked in radio for ten years when I was younger. If I'd have had this equipment back then, what could I have done? I mean, if I if I had this equipment when my grandparents were alive, Ooh. the stories okay. I could have recorded. I mean, oh, yeah, you know. And, and my mom passed away just uh, not quite a year ago, but I'm wow. thinking, you know, and this has Bluetooth built in, and I can do phone calls with it and record them live. I mean, technology. We grew up in a really cool era, you and I. I know that we're not that much apart in age, but we grew up in a really cool era, but we were just on the cusp, you know, if you'd have had that technology today. I know. Because back then, I was
2: mostly drawing pen and ink. I would dip the pen in the ink and then draw and dip it again. You know, I wasn't using felt pens right away. I used uh, some dry transfer type and rubbed that on. But if I run out of letters, I start mixing all these styles up, <laughs> you know, and it come off like punk art, punk rock stuff. And But I would, didn't mean to, you know, oh, man, I ran out of a W. Now I got to grab something else and stick it down there. But some of the posters were all hand-lettered straight through. The, the Charles Mingus one was.
1: Well, and, and that's what I liked about your posters thats that it's got its own its own flavor it's got its own style it's this is you can look at this and know that it's a Dennis Preston poster <laughs> because the the mixed fonts
2: no, <laughs> no, no 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 the thing is i look at them now you know especially the Alice Cooper one and i go man why did i use that font on there that doesn't go with the rest of the poster and the Alice Cooper poster is one of my favorites the Charles Mingus one is but i when i look at some of the old ones i'm just going man that's not right. Being who I am today. Sure. But then being, you know, this seventeen year old kid putting this stuff out, then okay, you know. Okay, that was okay for back then. Absolutely. You
3: know. Absolutely.
2: But, yeah. But I didn't know that much. You know, I was pretty much self-taught to do a lot of that stuff. You know, people weren't showing me how to do these posters.
1: And and obviously, I mean the stuff that you have developed through the years is just it's it's a body of work that stands on its own. As a matter of fact, Michigan State University is going to be well they're interested they're interested okay so you're yeah, still in no, talks no, with no, them. Yeah
2: we're still we're still yeah even this week I got a hold of them again and you know we, we haven't now that you had, now
1: news. that you have your stuff archived <laughs> yeah,
2: I, and that was part of the reason I didn't move ahead yet. Sure. you know so they they are interested in archiving Michigan music venues and sure. posters and anything related to that. Um, not necessarily anything outside of Michigan. They really want the Michigan stuff, and I would think especially because you know there's some of the venues that are on there. You know, are Lansing and East Lansing, sure, you know, especially the Stables. It's something that's not solid yet. You know, maybe by the time the broadcast this goes out, maybe it is. I don't know. So right now, yeah, I'm just emailing her back and forth about it.
1: It's very cool. Very cool, Dennis. I want to thank you for being with us today. If you would. Once again, the book is called Napkin Doodles by Dennis Preston. And Dennis, give us that uh, URL, or the URL again. It's Lulu.com.
2: Right. It's it's Lulu.com.
1: Forward slash.
2: Yep. Spotlight slash. And then Dennis Preston books.
1: Okay. And you can find it in there. It's 20 bucks. It's well worth the money. And uh, our our deepest appreciation for you being here today also our deepest appreciation for the record lounge for hosting us today yeah and um we will definitely keep in touch and see how things are going with you down the road okay
2: okay did you get all your questions
1: i I, I did whoa i did so thank you very much we appreciate you being here and we are out
0: Until next time, keep on keeping the blues alive. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect Voices, Vibes, Vision. Academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College, and when assistance is needed, tutoring is available to all students. LCC's Tutoring Services has developed several options to work with students, including WebEx tutoring sessions, math exam prep parties, and the Writing
4: Center. To find out more about Tutoring Services, visit lcc.edu tutoring.
0: Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org.
3: Well, I finally did it. My student loan is totally paid off. I can't believe it. I can't believe it either. I paid more than the minimum each month, and soon enough, it was gone. So you're just giving up? Giving up on what? The life of luxury. the lottery were easy, everyone would do
0: it. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Greg Laddick, and I host a show called Stars on Sports with Assistant Athletic Director Stephen Cutter here on LCC Connect. It's all about Lansing Community College Athletic Department. You can always find out more about Stars on Sports and listen on demand at lccconnect.org.
1: Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan Industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu
0: slash belong.
3: LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
4: Welcome to Headroom, where we discuss all things essential to mental health and well-being. I'm your host, Jim Owens, a licensed professional counselor at Lansing Community College. While this podcast does not constitute psychotherapy, it does introduce you to some phenomenal people who have incredible ideas for you and your life. So let's get into the headroom today and let me introduce you to one of our mental health counselors on campus, Carlotta Yuri harris Welcome.
5: Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here.
4: Thanks for joining. And so let the listeners know a little bit about you. Who are you? How do you describe yourself to people when you introduce yourself?
5: Well, I like my name. Now, mm. uh, and I help people remember it by saying, "Curla da 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 da."
3: Oh yeah,
5: it's like curl, like the curl in your hair, yep. and la da 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 da, like the song in your voice. In your voice. Mm-hmm.
4: Have you met anyone else with your name before?
5: You know, I did meet a student a few years ago who said he had a grandmother in Puerto Rico mm. who had my exact name, wow. and it was spelt exactly the same, but she was no longer alive. And I thought that was really odd because my father made up my name to be part of his name, Kurt, part of my mother's name, Admirer, and L in the middle for love. Oh. So that was a real phenomena. But for a long time, people would call me other names. And finally, LCC hired a business professor with the name people used to call me. And I had to go meet her. And I said, you're the one they've been looking for.
4: Uh, okay. <laughs> So it is a unique name. Mm -hmm. And that L for love in the middle, I can't help but think there's some kind of connection there to you being a counselor.
5: You're right. I I hadn't thought about that. Thank you. Because Mm -hmm. one of the gifts I used to say that I have is what was given to me by my parents more than anything else was unconditional love Mm -hmm. and acceptance. And I grew up in a world where my peers accepted me, but their parents didn't. So I couldn't come to their homes and I became very popular at school, kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, but as I went forward and my parents said, well, we don't have money and we don't have resources. They did have resources because they had connections. But I said, well, I want to grow love mm-hmm. and I want to learn more about you know, unconditional love. Mm. And uh, that's a lifelong learning process because the more you think you have, the more there is to learn.
4: Yeah. Well, it's apt that you've been a counselor at a college for however many long i don't know if you want to share how long you've been over helping. 30 years yeah and part of your job has been to help yourself learn more about unconditional love but to spread that as well i guess yeah, yeah.
5: i mean i always my main desire is for people to feel validated
3: mm-hmm.
5: in their own existence and to search themselves for their value and to unapologetically pursue mm-hmm. the development of their value to humanity mm-hmm. and to themselves and to their family. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fits in with LCC's mission yeah. to be able to not only be get uh, quality education, but to develop personal skills so that you can take care of your family and yourself yeah. and your society and as a global citizen. Mm-hmm. So LCC wants people to develop themselves and value themselves and contribute themselves. Yeah. You know.
4: Yeah. How do you see your role as a mental health counselor here for for three decades? You could have chosen to do a lot of other things in those thirty years, but you decided to stay here and keep working at this. Yeah. I What's didn't. the drive? What's been? You know, I was a
5: multilingual multimedia uh-huh. Spanish German hmm. instructor. Oh. Uh, in the east on the East Coast, and they didn't have enough full time positions. And my father had continued to say keep going to college keep going to college and every time i you know did some college i said well i want to apply that to the marketplace and see what i can do with it so finally when those jobs weren't available i accidentally ran into a counselor and i said well what is that what do you do mm-hmm. and they were saying they support good educational experiences for students and teachers and i said wow i'm still young enough to become that and and i tried to combine it with multimedia and mm-hmm. i found this work and after Six months in the field, I said, I have enough satisfaction to last a lifetime, but I don't want this to la- be the lifetime.
3: Mm, yeah.
5: And so I, you know, you never know, because when I was in studying for it, I said to uh, one professor, uh, I'm not sure I'm in the right field because I'm not really comfortable with the things I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And so I, do I need to be comfortable to be a counselor? And, he, and the professor said no. Otherwise, I would have gotten out of it right away.
4: What was it that was uncomfortable in that learning
5: well, mm. listening, you know, paying attention to people's feelings, number uh, one. Yeah. I, I was a thinker okay. and I listened to people's thoughts. Mm. That was the main thing. And I just felt, you know, I did um, all the raw show and, the, you know, the uh, testing and oh, all yeah. of that yeah. and the analysis. And that wasn't a problem. But I think it was mainly just learning how to face to face with people and listen and yeah. grab at the important stuff and support people to go where they need to go. Got
4: it. That's interesting. And I said
5: it would take me 10 years to apply empathy to mm-hmm. my work, and it did. Okay. To really so feel comfortable with empathy.
4: Growing into your feeling capabilities, you mm-hmm. could you could foresee that that was going to be a skill set mm-hmm. you didn't really have at the outset. Yeah. It was uncomfortable to have to work through it, but you said, I can see that I can work at this and I'll have it.
5: Yeah, because, you know, counselors are all different types. I mean, you have yeah. some counselors that are really great with technology, and that's yeah. their strong suit. Some counselors are really heavy with empathy, and yeah. that's their strong suit. And we have all different kinds of therapy, theories. Yeah. So it'll take, you know, a counselor can find themselves in the field by picking up a theory that's more like their personality. Yeah. And then grow from there. Yeah. And I believe in lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. So I never rest on my past knowledge. And, and when I'm in front of a client, I basically say, okay, I'm going to allow the client to guide me and to where I need to go and yeah. how I need to be, you know, with the basic skills yeah. of empathy, support, confidentiality, yeah. you know, and emotional safety.
4: Yeah. Wow. What a journey for you to push yourself through a program like that. It must've been challenging, but as you were sharing, I'm curious about um, you made a comment in there and this is what mm-hmm. counselors do. We listen for little things. And this is when mm-hmm. I heard you said you made the uh, assessment. I'm young enough to do this. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say what your age was at the time you mm-hmm. made that decision, but do you think a lot of students, at LCC and elsewhere, do that calculation in their head? Am I young enough to go back to college or am I young enough to do this pursuit?
5: Well, it's a good question. You know, And I guess if I found that I was trucking around for a long time and not finding a niche, mm. you know, I, I don't know why I said it that way, but, you know, that was then and this is now. Yeah. And I have a younger daughter who says, this is whoever's living, this is your generation. It just so happens some of us come from some other additional generations, mm-hmm. but we still have to utilize the tools today.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And the tools today are very different than when I came started out. Yeah. Uh, today, it's jobs change and careers change and you can be almost like a renaissance person. Yeah, uh, and And so you can be very diverse and mm-hmm. it's not one credential or another or one skill or another i mean you can come up with a creative combination of who you're going to be and how you're going to do it so many open, so many ways to well, be there okay is, yeah.
4: i mean obviously if we go way back in human history we have the idea that you inherit the family business or whatever you're going to be a farmer because your family was for mm-hmm. farmers or something. but now we have well you can go into a specialized career and you, you can have a second career we call that an encore career you know mm-hmm. people do a whole 25 or 30 years in a profession and then switch completely and Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the unique things about LCC. I know we have students here who are doing an encore career. I've counseled them. I know you have people who've come and mm-hmm. said, for example, I've had students who were really successful in business and in, in financial success in their career. And they came back to school because they wanted to now become a paramedic or a nurse or something mm-hmm. and, or counselors. It's something a little bit more in the helping profession. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you
5: know? yeah. it's really it's not about age anymore. It's about, you know, are you alive and do you is there something you also want to aspire to and i know i get to this issue with a lot of students who talk about their parents
3: mm-hmm.
5: and and especially when students are saying well my parents want me to be this or that or they want me to figure out what i'm going to be and i'm saying if you feel too pressured your parents are still alive they can still do the things that they aspire to do mm-hmm. you don't have to feel obligated to do what they still want done <laughs> So, I mean, that's, today, anybody's young enough, especially since neurology has said there is no ending point for what it is you can grasp or learn. Right. They say, they used to say, oh, well, it's too late. And then they expose someone to something and all of a sudden they see these neurons light up and then like, where did that come from? And it looks like the body's capable of grasping, learning, picking up and developing whatever it is that's in front of them. So.
4: Yeah. Did you you probably learned and we're uh, slightly different in age, but you probably learned in psychology classes. They probably told you the thing they told me, which was the brain is done growing at around early 20s. That is such an old farce. That is not true. Your brain is myelinating up through your mid 20s, which means it's getting that fatty uh, surrounding on the neurons, the cells, which helps the electrochemical signaling signaling happen quicker. Mm -hmm. That's true. Mm -hmm. As a teenager, your brain isn't myelinated. It doesn't move Mm -hmm. as fast. When you're a young adult, it's moving faster. But you have long-term potentiation. You have neuroplasticity, both Mm -hmm. functionally and structurally, your whole life. You can can keep learning the whole time outside of brain disease. But outside of that, Mm -hmm. you're learning.
5: Yeah, and that neuroplasticity is talking about you can adjust, you can change. Now, we do not change because somebody wants us to. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to make changes... It's got to be deep within inside our own, you know, raison d'etre. You know, mm-hmm. we've got to personally be motivated and desired with no other alternative. Yeah. And we can't be. Tra- and we don't usually succeed well if we're changing too many things at the same time. Mm-hmm. So if we mm-hmm. get focused on something that we really desire to be about, we can get there
3: yeah.
5: inside ourselves. Not because of any, you know, but push people can't push people yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, there's still in relationships that you know that issue of I'm going to make them be like I want them to be, right. or you know, and that's still a fail fail yeah. the initiative. <laughs> that's not a
4: grand idea. I mean,
5: today yeah. there's more motivation to learn how to accept oneself,
3: mm-hmm.
5: the parts you like, the parts you not don't like, right. the parts that used to work in the past but don't work today. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that you may have to learn, you know, add some new parts that you didn't know anything about,
3: mm-hmm,
5: mm-hmm. Uh, which is could be really you know, emotionally painful yep. and discomforting,
4: but there's some level of discomfort we need to get comfortable with, right? There's uh, yeah, we and we it's accepting of accept accepting yeah enough. accept that's, that's discomfort
5: it. yeah and say that's not I'm not going to make that the biggest deal yeah uh, it just comes with the territory of being human.
4: Yeah, we'll get into some maybe more concepts for specifically about mental health and well-being. But one of them that strikes me now is Mm -hmm. when you were in your graduate program, you had Mm -hmm. to become accepting of being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I have a little motto in my house. We have a bunch of mottos written down on the wall. And one of them is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But what it really means is just get used to that. That's going to be part Mm -hmm. of your experience in life. And you need to pursue what you're passionate about, even if it's distressing. Now, there is a point at which something is so distressing, you become incapable of moving forward or something like that and you have to re reassess and maybe start in a different direction or get yeah, some more resources. Right. And that's to move okay, forward. right? Exactly. That's okay.
5: Yeah. I um, really I used to say the foundation of my work was being holistic. You mm-hmm. know, the the classic spirit, mind, body. Mm-hmm. That you have your brain, your understanding, your logic. You have your physical being and what you're capable of doing, mm-hmm. and then you have that woo-woo territory, that intangible, intuitive, instinctive territory, yeah. instinctual territory yeah. that people call spiritual, and it's not really connected to religion or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just connected to the fact that I could, th- I could get ready to walk down the hallway and say, "Gosh, I think I need to take a pencil," but I won't need a pencil. Mm-hmm. And when I get down the hallway, someone asks me. Do you have a pencil? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how did I know that? Mm-hmm. I didn't intellectually know that. Right. Something about my energy force field, my mm-hmm. spirit, knew that before I got mm-hmm. there. Yeah. You can call it whatever you want. Just like how could a 95-pound 95, a 95 woman lift a two-ton truck off of her son? Right. She would say, I don't have the power, the right. muscles to do that. Mm-hmm. But adrenaline, adrenaline would just shoot up, and all of a sudden, she's doing something that she physically is incapable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. So those things, that's that territory. So I used to say that's the world. Then mm. I, in 2003, uh, after 15 years of research, I love to tell the story how mm. I went to the science and museum or the science of, um, of uh, industry, oh, the, uh, the museum, industry. I'm sorry, the Museum of Science and Industry yeah. in Chicago yeah. uh, more than once. And in 2003, they had an exhibit, uh, what was to be a permanent exhibit of the outcome of this research called the Human Genome Project. Yeah. And I used to go on the Smithsonian Institute website and they would talk about it. And you could just look up human genome and you would find what it said. And it said that they checked our, they were trying to find out how many human beings, and species there were, mm-hmm. and what was similar or different. And they went back 3.5 million years
3: mm-hmm.
5: to through fossils. Mm-hmm. And they said all we could find all across the world and all back in history that far was one human species. Mm. And that is the evolution of the same human species that exists today Mm -hmm. as Homo sapiens sapiens. And Mm -hmm. the reason why we say sapiens sapiens is because we're developing the frontal lobe Mm -hmm. more than the emotional Mm -hmm. brain. And so they said when we, they found this out and they said, but they could never find any one of us that was a hundred percent duplicate of the other, whether Mm. we were identical twins or fraternal twins or anything, brother, sister, mother, father. And so they said that each one of us was at least 99.99% or 99 cents out of a dollar, Mm -hmm. exactly genetically the same. Wow. And that each of us was less than a penny, uniquely different Mm -hmm. genetically. Mm -hmm. So I started using that in my counseling to validate us, to say, aren't there times, Carlotta, when you are compelled or motivated or inspired to want to do something that you don't think you can do, that you don't think you understand, that you Mm -hmm. have no model for, but it keeps compelling you to give that a try. It's uncomfortable feeling because you're all alone. Nobody can say you're right, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you tell some people that they, you know, if they don't know how to do it, which they probably won't, they Mm -hmm. won't encourage you. Mm -hmm. Well, that is, that's what I bring to the table as my 100% unique self. And that's that, that's the place where I feel like I need to have courage. I feel like every one of us has our place of courage to become uniquely us,
4: it's kind of like uh, leaning into the 1% maybe leaning into that part of you that's individual yes validate that you are so unique there has never been anyone like you your experience that you're having is unique it's similar to other people's experiences yes. but it is totally novel and yes. you are at the vanguard of it and you're yeah. going to discover what's mm-hmm. one foot forward as you take that step
5: exactly
4: it's kind of exciting <laughs> yes
5: i mean you know it can be freeing you know and and really exciting and passion filled. Yeah. Yeah. And it does take our courage to be uncomfortable. I
4: was gonna say an anxiety filled because we Uh, like certainty. We like to know what's gonna happen. We like to see if it's already been tested.
5: Yes. That's why it requires courage.
4: However, we also like novelty. We also like some uncertainty.
5: We don't like to be always predictable. Yes. And we like Mm to, you know, be unique unto ourselves. We want people to say, yeah, you count Mm -hmm. Jim. You count, Carlotta. Mm -hmm. We don't want to say, well, you don't count because everybody else does, but you don't. We don't want that.
4: I think we hear a lot, and I know I won't speak for you, but I I bet you hear the same kind of stories I do of of students saying when they get in our office, shut the door, and they'll say, I'm the only one struggling. I look around campus and everybody else is smiling. They got a backpack slung over their shoulder, and they're just looking forward into their future. And it's Mm -hmm. like, nah, they're hiding that. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. hiding their fear and anxiety. And we don't want to feel so different from everyone else F- for lots of, probably lots of good reasons. Right. We want to fit into our group. We want to be right. accepted in a group, still. Exactly. But we are never going to be the same. Yeah. And part of our journey in life, I guess you'll, you'll say more about this is to encourage that, right? To be brave and, and explore yeah. who you are.
5: Yeah. I mean, we want both and we can have both. We can have okay. the fit and we can have the set aside. I mm-hmm. mean, don't we admire people who are celebrities or mm-hmm. special people and... Yeah. We, if you we look around at the folks that are admired, they're not exactly the same as anybody else. That's right. You know, they may have the same profession. Yeah. Uh, they may even go to the same designer. Yeah.
3: yeah.
5: <laughs> but they don't even, you know, do the, the same things exactly the same way, but we still admire them. Yeah. Well, we can say we're just like that. You know, we can look in the mirror and say we're like that ourselves. And we just have to accept that. We we don't want to accept it for ourselves, but we will accept it for others.
4: Mm. Yeah, I think it's partly like if everybody else has already validated that when the person's a celebrity, well, they got millions of people who love how distinct they are. Mm-hmm. I remember my wife and I were just talking about Prince, the musician the other day. Mm-hmm. We were listening to him and I said to her, when he came on the, on the radio, he was different. He mm-hmm. was so, I mean, he dressed differently. His mm-hmm. music was different. He was a phenomenal musician and songwriter and producer. He could do it all. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, man, the courage to do that. But he's been heralded as a, as a musical genius and obviously wildly popular but few people would have the courage to walk into school looking like Prince or writing music like Prince. It took some courage to do that. Once it gets validated from the outside, I think it's easier.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And that's one of the jobs, I guess, of counselors. I know we do both. We, we tell people, hey, your experience is really common. It's it's okay mm-hmm. that you're having it. It's been had before. Lots of people are having it now. And then also the other side of that, which is validating, well, this is your experience, and you mm-hmm. didn't expect to have this in life. Mm-hmm. And maybe nobody else is having it exactly the way exactly. that you are. Mm-hmm. But let's. What, yeah. what are our options here? You're going to experience it, or something. Yeah, because
5: yeah. people don't like to hear. Well, you know, you're you're having the same experiences as everybody else. Because they'll say right away, Oh no, mine is mm. different. Yeah, and I want to tell my story yeah. about my way yeah. and my experience, and it's not exactly the same as my brother, my sister, my friend, mm-hmm. my neighbor, mm-hmm. that other student, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll say that. Mm-hmm. If we were trying to claim the same. So you you really hit a lot of numbers, but the catch is even though we look at somebody and say, Oh wow, when they look in the mirror at themselves, do they say, Oh wow? Yeah. You know, you hear about all of the lack of confidence that the people we admire have. Yes. And the challenges that they have. I mean, you know, they go through human experience just like the rest of us, no matter how validated they are. Yeah, that's very true. So validation doesn't erase the human experience from us.
4: No, for all the 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 lauding that they can get, whether they're a musician, mm-hmm. an actor, whatever, celebrity, mm-hmm. sports athlete, they still have to get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, right. awesome, I get to and be me again.
5: Exactly. And, and just like we do. Yes. And if they don't do it, you know, somebody's pumping them up to, to go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they use something you <laughs> well, know to do. get the I mean <laughs> they do hey, you know, so we're all human and and so when I talk about the fact that we are genetically the same more than anything out of another, well, that's because you know there is no human race, there's a human biological species, yeah, I used to say race for the longest time,' yeah. I'm like I used to say, well, why don't you say?' why don't you talk about the human race when they talk about all the others? I'm like, wait a moment. Then I said, no, no, no. I love biology. I loved it. I was an ace in the lab. And if I had known what to do with it back then, I would have been into biology. But Mm -hmm. this is close to it. I I get as close to it as I can do counseling. So then I go to, well, what helps to explain the human experience beyond biology? Mm -hmm. And that's when I go to Abraham Maslow, the humanistic psychologist and You know, in grad school, we don't study him much. He's never one of the main characters because they're basically wanting us to talk about experimental psychology and pathology and Mm -hmm. behavioral psychology. But Abraham Maslow went all over the world to validate that all cultural experiences have a common human experience, motivation of needs
3: Needs, and motivation. yeah. Yeah,
5: we all have the same basic biological and experiential, really holistic needs, spirit, mind, body needs. And if we don't have those needs met, then we are motivated to focus time in there and meet it. Mm -hmm. And so I go to back to the biology and talk about how in the first six years of life as a human being, you know, we're connecting with our outer world after we've come out of the womb. And even while we're in the womb, we're actually connecting to what has been said the father's emotional umbilical cord. That's why when folks are having babies,
3: mm-hmm.
5: uh, it's really interesting that not only do our brains capture all the wisdom of the world, even though it's not all conscious,
3: mm-hmm.
5: but there's something about the energy, the life energy of the two parents and the cells that the two parents contributed that connect that baby to those parents, yeah. no matter where they are or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and So while the mother's going through the physical umbilical experience, the father is going through the emotional umbilical experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, you know, the child's developing connections and eye hand coordinations and bonding and all of that. And the reality is that no parent ever hundred percent fulfills all of the needs of that offspring. And what I like to look at it as happening, as long as, The developmental experience of that child is not so damaged that they say, lock me up and throw away the key because it's going to take me forever to socialize in this world. The child all of a sudden gets up to the point where maybe they're motivated in their life or their career or their avocations Mm -hmm. to make better or to address whatever was missing for them. Yeah. So when people are trying to figure out careers, you know, yeah. think about you know what more you wanted in life. That's one thing, but then every seven years our body rebuilds itself, right. and so we go th- we can go through that you know redevelopment, rechange, reevaluation every seven mm-hmm. years. <laughs> so you know, so what are these basic needs uh, that we have to have and that we're motivated to fulfill if we don't have them? Well, uh, there's the biological needs of air, Mm -hmm. nutrients that we call food, Mm -hmm. water, and human touch. Mm -hmm. And they used to report that babies in hospitals, when we usually 90-some percent of babies used to be born at home with midwives in their family space. Mm. And then when they started moving out of that into buildings, they used to put babies in cribs and babies started to die because they were never touched. And then they realized they had to pick them up and all of that and hold them. So we need human touch to live. So a hug every day is good. Mm -hmm. You can even, if you don't want to hug and touch the person, you can like wrap your arms around their energy force field, their Mm -hmm. life energy, and Mm -hmm. just hug the space Mm -hmm. that they're around. Mm -hmm. And if you push, you're going to feel you know, they're going to feel something Mm -hmm. and that's their life energy. Mm -hmm. So you've got that at the bottom. Then you want predictability, as we were saying, Mm -hmm. you know, like we, and predictability is considered safety and security. We want to have some things that we're grounded with. And the older we get, the more our brain is conditioned to form these file cabinets. I call them, they're actually theoretically called schemas, but the more we repeat something, the more it becomes automatic. And so the brain, you know, so, We get these predictabilities in these comfort zones, and it doesn't matter whether we grew up and like them or not; they're going to be comfortable, and we're going to tend to go back to what we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we can't make it. We don't usually succeed at making a lot of changes at once. We just have to learn to accept the comfort zones we have, and and then Uh, minimize those that aren't working for us, and add more or maximize. Like be a continual learner. Yeah and then we have, Let me jump in there yeah I? go ahead please this I'm is jumping so to fascinating
4: <laughs> no no but we're, we're unfortunately we're out of time but I want to segue yeah. that into
5: mm-hmm.
4: thank you for coming on the show and I want to encourage people who are listening if they want to continue this conversation with you they can make an appointment to do that that's correct you are a mental health counselor at LCC and you will uh, see students who are currently enrolled and they can go to our website to learn more lcc.edu slash counseling and learn more about the biology And the basic human needs of mental health and well being.
3: That's correct.
4: So I I appreciate you coming on, and I encourage everyone to, you know, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jim.
0: Sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect.
3: Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship since 2012. The Lansing Promise Scholarship offers graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. Since its inception, over 1,000 enrolled students have saved over $2 million, earning over 400 degrees and certificates, as well as 30,000 credits at LCC. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship, please visit lcc.edu hope. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC, and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect, or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. I didn't want to talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. And of course, we went to different cities.
5: One day, he called me out of the blue. And it's comforting to know that I always count on him to have my back.
0: Well, we hadn't talked for a while. And then she texted me, and we went for a walk. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help.
2: I was away from my family during the holidays, and a friend invited me to their house for dinner. It really meant a lot. He knew I was having a rough week, so he asked me to go fishing with him.
3: My friend knew that I didn't want to go out. So she brought me dinner instead. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared. It gave me some hope.
0: Just that one text. Be there. Your call. Your presence. Your words. Your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at veteranscrisisline.net.
3: Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash freshstart.
4: This
0: is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.